From down 0-2 to winning the series, the New Jersey Devils have punched their ticket to the next round and will take on the Carolina Hurricanes on Wednesday. There's a whole lot to break down in today's episode of Locked on Devils. I am ecstatic and I am to the moon. The New Jersey Devils shocked the world. Once again, game seven, winner go home, and they are not going home. They move on. Buckle up, everybody. You're Locked On Devils, your daily podcast on the New Jersey Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, this is Bryce Salvador, and you're Locked On Devils with Trey Matthews. All righty now, what is up, New Jersey? Welcome back to the Locked On Devils podcast here on the Locked On Network. I'm your host, college hockey play-by-play announcer, Devils writer for Pucks and Pitchforks, and also part-time credential media member, Trey Matthews. For the first time since 2012, the New Jersey Devils have won a playoff series. For the first time since 2003, the New Jersey Devils have won a Game 7 at home. And for the first time since 1994, the New Jersey Devils have overcome a 2-0 deficit and went on to win the series. These entire playoffs have been chaotic, crazy, kooky, whatever word you want to use to describe it, throughout the entire NHL. And the Devils are no exception. There's been a lot of parity. So if the Devils have taught anyone throughout the course of the regular season and the first round, is that to never doubt them in any circumstance. Now the New Jersey Devils have punched their ticket to the next round of the playoff series, and they will take on the Carolina Hurricanes. And God forbid, if the New Jersey Devils go down 3 nothing against the Hurricanes, I wouldn't doubt them in that circumstance either because they are the never-give-up Devils. They just find ways to impress people left and right. They find ways to prove their doubters wrong. Even if their backs are against the wall, they find a way to overcome the obstacle in their way. So the New Jersey Devils are just an amazing team. They are legitimate. So mission accomplished, which is just get back to relevancy throughout the course of the NHL. So if you still doubt the New Jersey Devils or if you think this year was a fluke, if you're still hating on them, if you're still saying this, that, and the third, then guess what? I'm going to question your sanity. Now, there's a lot to break down in this game because this was game seven. This is win or go home. There's no tomorrow. There's no later. There's no redeem yourself the next day. This is it. This is for all the marbles. And the New Jersey Devils came out to play from start to finish. They didn't give the New York Rangers any chance. So in today's episode, I'm going to give my three stars throughout the course of the first round. Then in the second segment, I'll talk a little bit more about the game in general and also talk about that nasty hit that Timo Meyer took at the hands of Jacob Truba. And then, like I do with every postgame recap, I'll compare the stats and give the Devils a letter grade. So let's look at my personal three stars for the New Jersey Devils' first round playoff series against the New York Rangers. So here are some honorable mentions. Number one, Kevin Ball. Him and Damon Severson, that defensive line pairing has been very consistent throughout the course of the first round. And even though they don't rack up a lot of excitement in terms of points, you know that their presence is there, especially with Kevin Ball. He's been an anchor 
for the blue line for New Jersey Devils. And he has been one of the more surprising players in my eyes, despite a lot of people not really talking about him. Now, we've seen him ruffle the feathers of the Rangers players. We saw uh, him treat them like they were a bunch of ragdolls because he's like six foot six. But Kevin Ball has just been an excellent contributor throughout the course of the playoffs for the Devils. And it's just a, an amazing story that he started off the season as a seventh defenseman. And then towards the end of the season, he was switching games with Brendan Smith. But now during the course of the playoffs, he has been an everyday player for the Devils. And he has held down the fort in terms of the defense. He's not going to light up the offensive numbers, but that's not his job. So Kevin Ball deserves a round of applause for this playoff series. One of the young guys stepping up big time. And I talked about his potential a few weeks ago. So he's up there for Devils in terms of hits, in terms of blocks, defensive point shares, whatever the case might be. Kevin Ball has been solid for the Devils alongside with Damon Severson, who I also have to give a lot of credit because Damon Severson has also taken sort of a backseat role because we always think of Damon Severson as being an offensive-minded defenseman. And even though the offensive numbers have gone down, the advanced analytics show it. Damon Severson has stepped up his game in more ways than one. And the pairing with him and Kevin Ball has been phenomenal for the Devils. Now, honorable mention number two, Andre Palat, the grizzled veteran, because Andre Palat has been to the Stanley Cup final and he's actually won a couple times. So during the course of the regular season, Palat was out for a good chunk of it. He wasn't a part of the 13-game win streak. He had to have groin surgery. And when he came back, he showed glimpses of what he was capable of doing, but Towards the end of the season, he kind of went silent, especially after the Timo Meyer trade. Now, a lot of people were just complaining about Palat. They were saying he wasn't worth the money. But Cam Danico said it once. He said that, wait until the playoffs, and maybe you'll see a surge in Andre Palat. Now, Andre Palat did get off to a slow start for the first few games. You sometimes forgot that he was out there. But once he was able to score... You saw that Andre Palat was able to just uh, contribute in more ways than one. So he finished off the first round with four points, two goals and two assists. And he got the assist on the game-winning goal in game seven at the hands of Michael McLeod. And that started off with Andre Palat being sort of a pest, able to swipe the puck away, pass it over to McLeod. And McLeod was able to put the moves on Shesterkin. It wasn't the most exciting move. It was relatively slow in my eyes. But still, he fooled Shesterkin and was able to get the game-winning goal, and that was McLeod's first goal since January 4th against the Detroit Red Wings. Short-handed, nonetheless. So Andre Palat has stepped up his game in more ways than one, and this is what we wanted to see throughout the course of the playoffs because Andre Palat, he makes a name for himself in the big moments, and that's why the New Jersey Devils signed him in the first place. So I know the regular season has been a bit of a disappointment. Has he been worth the money that the Devils organization has been paying him? Probably not, but at least you're starting to see him slowly but surely start to rack up the points during the course of the playoffs. So hopefully Andre Palat can ride that in the second round against the Carolina Hurricanes because that's going to be vital for the Devils moving forward. Honorable mention number three, Jonas Siegenthaler. So I was really inspired by Jonas Siegenthaler because he was a healthy scratch in game two, but then in game four, he was able to have a multi-point performance in which he was able to score and he was also able to rack up an assist. So Jonas Siegenthaler, like I said, just the story of him being from a healthy scratch to now actually being a solid contributor for the Devils, like we knew how much potential Jonas Siegenthaler had. It was a questionable move by Lindy Ruff to sit him in favor of Brendan Smith, and that came back to bite the Devils. And had the Devils lost that series, you can't help but think, 
What could have gone differently in game two had Lindy Ruff not scratched, you know, Siegenthaler? So Siegenthaler has been an anchor for a defense similar to Kevin Ball. He's not going to light up the offensive numbers, but at the same time, that's not his job. That's not why the Devils signed him long-term. So I loved that game four performance from Jonas Siegenthaler. And that was also a momentum shift for Devils because they were still down 2-1. They were able to tie the series. And then it goes back to the Prudential Center for game number five. And the Devils, once again, they're riding that hot wave. And Jonas Siegenthaler played a part in that because game four was one of the better performances throughout the course of the series for the Devils. Now, let's move on to my three stars of the first round. So the third star for the Devils is Jack Hughes. So Jack Hughes finished off with three goals, three assists for a grand total of six points, and two of his points came on the power play. So at one point, the Devils had scored only five goals throughout the course of the series, and Jack Hughes was responsible for three-fifths of them. So the narrative going into the series was that Jack Hughes was so young. He was inexperienced. What he was doing in the regular season wasn't going to carry over into the playoffs. He was going to get shut down. And Similar to Andre Pilat, he got off to a pretty slow start. And yes, sometimes he did look a little outmatched. But the one thing that I liked about Jack Hughes is that he was still finding ways to score. He was the reason why the Devils did not get shut out in game one because he had that penalty shot and he was able to fool Shesterkin. And if we count the regular season, Jack Hughes has scored, I believe, eight times on Shesterkin. So he is really uh, one of the few players in the entire NHL that has Igor figured out. Now, Going back to the narrative saying that Jack Hughes was young, inexperienced, whatever the case might be, James Nichols, a Devils writer for the fourth period, spoke to Jack Hughes postgame after game seven, and here's what Jack Hughes said. He said, quote, we're a young team. People will talk about inexperience, but we don't know any better. We just play. So what I liked from Jack Hughes was that he was just playing in game seven. He had the primary assists on Eric Hollow's goal, and it was a two-on-one opportunity in favor of the Devils. And that was the dagger goal that really uh, set the game out of reach. And the Rangers just had no chance after that one. So when the score went three, nothing, that was because of Jack Hughes setting up Eric Halla on a dime. And once again, Halla was able to add to what was already an impressive playoff run. What impressed me throughout the course of the series for Jack Hughes was that I saw just more passion. I saw more determination from Jack Hughes, even if it didn't result in anything. I just saw Jack Hughes, especially in game seven, barking at the referees, showing more emotion and just being more determined to try to get his way. And I believe at the conclusion of the series, he finished off with three hits. If you need a reference, Jack Hughes had 12 total hits throughout the course of the regular season. So I liked Jack Hughes in this series. Wasn't his best showing, but at the same time, you still saw those glimpses that he was able to do during the course of the regular season. And once again, for the first few games of the series, Jack Hughes was the reason why the New Jersey Devils were able to stay afloat, and he was still that catalyst that was driving the Devils' offense. And we saw it in Game 7 once again. So if he's able to carry it over into the next series, then I think Jack Hughes will have more point production. And it's funny. People were talking about how he's small, inexperienced. He's all this. He's not that. It's It kind of baffles me because wasn't there another small American player years ago who currently plays for the New York Rangers but was a longtime Chicago Blackhawk. He went on to win multiple Stanley Cups. He won the Hart Memorial Trophy in 2016. He's a multi-time All-Star. He's probably one of the greatest American players to ever play the game. I believe that player was Patrick Kane. So if you're doubting Jack Hughes' inexperience and also his height or whatever the case might be, 
look no further than his opponent on the New York Rangers in Patrick Kane. So the student became the teacher because Hughes admitted that he looked up to Kane because they play similar games. So uh, Kane, once again, in his third season with the Chicago Blackhawks, he was able to help lead them to a Stanley Cup, their first Stanley Cup title in years and years and years. So if you're if you're saying Jack Hughes can't do this, then I, I think you're the same person who was saying that Patrick Kane can't do this or that or whatever the case might be. So just saying. So I think Jack Hughes is just a start for him in terms of his playoff production. Now, my second star, Eric Halla. So Eric Halla finished off the series with four goals, two assists for a grand total of six points. So a lot of people, once again, throughout the course of the year, were saying the Devils lost that trade. Pavel Zaka is doing all this with the Boston Bruins. Eric Halla, where's the production? Where's the showing? Where's the goals? Well, first and foremost, Eric Halla was just snake-bitten early on in the year. But then as it progressed, especially towards the end, you started to see that scoring surgence from Hala. And if the playoffs were any indicator, you know what Eric Hala brings to the table. So Eric Hala, his main job is to do the dirty work that a lot of players won't do. And he's one of the reasons why Jack Hughes was able to have such a productive regular season when Hala was paired on the same line as him. So it just baffles me that people still uh, condescend Eric Hala and his capability, but he's a true veteran leader on this team. And similar to what Christy Flannery said when she appeared on this show uh, not too long ago, she said there's a reason why Eric Hala is dealt away during the course of the trade deadline multiple times is because you need a player like Eric Hala if you want any chance of success, if you want any chance of winning a Stanley Cup title. And Eric Hollow was the one telling the media, saying, hey, our backs are against the wall. People have doubted us for so long, but we're not going to let that bother us. We're just going to treat it like it's a normal game. So Eric Hollow is that even keel kind of player that the Devils needed ever since Taylor Hall left. So Eric Hollow, while his production throughout the course of the regular season was up and down, but a lot more ups than downs as the season came to a close, I think it's on full display his true potential for the roster. And I think you'd be foolish to say that Eric Halla does not deserve a spot on this roster. So Eric Halla has been a true impact player. Not to mention, Eric Halla did save Akira Schmidt's shutout in game five. He was able to track the puck as soon as it went between uh, Schmidt's legs. He located it, passed it over to Hughes, and Hughes was able to blast it down to the other side of the rink to save Akira Schmidt's bacon. And speaking of Akira Schmidt, my first star for the first round of the playoff series is Akira Schmidt. What more can I say about him? I, I know I just repeat myself by saying he makes great A saves. He does that. He just keeps the devils in the game. Well, like I said, there's no second chances in game seven. So he had to be on his game big time and talk about a complete 360s. He was subbed out early in game six for VTech Vanacek because Akira Schmidt did not have his best outing. And people were a little hesitant, like, okay, should we go back to VTech Vanacek? Is it in Akira Schmidt's head? And when Lindy Ruff revealed that Akira Schmidt was still going to be the starter, I said that was the right call and decision-making by Lindy Ruff. And look what Akira Schmidt was able to do. He shut out the Rangers once again. So don't let the game seven festives and celebration distract you from the fact that Akira Schmidt has shut out the Rangers not once, but twice. This kid is amazing. So according to James Nichols, once again, Akira Schmidt in the playoffs, 4-1, 1.38 goals against average, a 9.51 save percentage, and he made 1.61 goals saved above expected 
in this matchup. So Akira Schmidt has been phenomenal. And according to the Devils PR team, Schmidt became just the second netminder in franchise history to earn a shutout in a game seven. The last player to do so, Martin Brodeur, June 9th, 2003, against the Anaheim Ducks. Schmidt became the third rookie netminder in NHL history who logged two shutouts in a single postseason versus the New York Rangers. Schmidt became the first rookie netminder in franchise history who earned multiple shutouts in a single postseason. Martin Brodeur won shutout in 1994, and then Sean Burke did it in 1988. So Schmidt has been amazing, and it's no surprise that he is my MVP for the first round playoff series. Well, this Devils team is amazing in more ways than one. And if you continue to doubt him once again, you're just a bona fide hater. You don't know anything about the sport of hockey. And don't let your personal vendetta get in the way of realizing that this Devils team is legitimate. This Game 7 matchup for the Devils was eventful in more ways than one. So obviously the Devils came out guns blazing from puck drop to the final horn that signified the end of the game. But one of the big storylines that we need to discuss is Jacob Truba's nasty hit on Timo Meyer. So what happened? Well, in period number three, Timo Meyer has control of the puck. He takes it into the offensive end for the New Jersey Devils. He's just a couple steps past the blue line. He has his head down. And then Jacob Truba just comes right in front of him. His elbow is down a little bit, but let's just say he got a little too much of Timo Meyer's face. Meyer went down flat on his back, and he lied there, and he had to go back to the locker room to get checked out. Thankfully, Meyer was able to return to the bench, but let's just say his nose was a little messed up. So was it a dirty play by Jacob Truba? So here's the thing. The, Jacob Truba didn't get a penalty for that because by the rule book of the NHL, that's considered a legal hit. But my thing is simply this. Truba doesn't get the benefit of the doubt because he has a track history of doing these kind of things. So he did the same thing to Sidney Crosby in last year's Stanley Cup playoffs. And I believe Crosby had to sit for a couple of games. So hopefully the, the same doesn't happen for Timo Meyer. Hopefully he's able to recover. But going back to Truba, Truba doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt. So yes, that might be a legal hit in the NHL rule book, but he was still out to hurt somebody and the fact of the matter is simply this i know he's the captain of the rangers team but he's not the best hockey player out there his main goal is to just assert himself with those kinds of hits which is why it's caused him some controversy it's one of the reasons why he sometimes finds himself in hot water so was it a dirty play yes by truba standards and there's more to it so what led up to it so i think the main thing is that Truba was just frustrated with his team's overall effort because let's face it, Rangers fans, I'm sorry to tell you, but your team did not come out to play in game seven. They didn't play like their lives were on the line. This was their final chance. This was the devil's final chance. We saw a little bit of imperial number one, but the devils were still keeping themselves in their offensive end. They were still getting a lot of shot attempts on Shesterkin. So my thing is simply this, the Rangers weren't playing well. So Going into period number three, time is winding down. Similar to what I told Jersey Joe when we did a crossover after game number one, I said sometimes you do have to do things out of desperation, maybe to just get a spark out of your team. But um, I didn't anticipate for it to happen in this sort of manner because Truba just came in front of Meyer. His elbow was down a little bit, but he got too much of the face. 
So I think just the frustrations from Truba and his overall team effort, I think that also played a factor. But if you guys remember, a couple games ago, Timo Meyer was getting into the head of Shesterkin a little bit because he and uh, Shesterkin were exchanging some blows, just minor jabs at one another. And I think it got to Shesterkin a little bit because in game five, I just saw Shesterkin just look a little bit out of it. And I think it came after that first period scuffle that he had with Timo Meyer. So it's one of the things that I was applauding Timo Meyer for, which was, yes, he's not scoring. Yes, he's not getting assists. He didn't have a single point throughout the course of the first round. But the one thing I respected from Meyer was that he was asserting himself physically. He was getting all those hits. He was basically a locomotive coming down the lane. And it's just amazing that Timo Meyer was creating a lot of good looks for himself and others, but unfortunately wasn't able to result in a point. Don't worry, guys. It's coming. But digressing a little bit, the points weren't uh, generating off the stick of Meyer, so he has to find other ways to get his team into it. So I think Timo Meyer played a factor as to why the Devils were able to dominate in Game 5 because he got underneath the skin of Shesterkin. He was also getting into his head a little bit. Part of being a good goalie is having a good mindset like any other athlete. So if Timo Meyer is getting underneath your skin a little bit, it kind of affects you in more ways than one. And this continued a few days later because Shesterkin told the athletics saying, Oh, I believe Timo Meyer is watching a little too much MMA. And then Timo Meyer in response was talking to Ryan Ovazinski and said, I don't watch MMA, but whatever makes him happy. So, you know, Shesterkin was thinking about it a little bit. So I think Truba just had enough of the antics of Timo Meyer and just the combination of his team losing. He might've just lost it. He might've just blacked out in anger and similar to what his track history is. He decided to just lash it out on Meyer. And as a result, Meyer, he had a bloody nose. He had to go back to the locker room. He had to get checked out. And that was the end of the story. However, when uh, both teams were coming to center ice to shake hands as a sign of good sportsmanship, I saw Truba and Meyer have a bit of a moment. But they weren't, like, grabbing each other's jersey. They weren't, like, chirping at each other. They were actually embracing. They were actually hugging. So Meyer being the nice guy that he usually is, I guess he didn't take much exception for it, especially since he was able to still remain alert and walk on his own willpower. Now, if you're looking for an update on Timo Meyer, according to Amanda Stein, she says that there was no update on Timo Meyer from Lindy Ruff. He did return to the bench, but did not play after the hit. Lindy says he thought there was contact on the hit and wants to take another look at it. And according to Ryan Ovazinski, he says that Timo Meyer's nose is bloody and beaten up. He's getting it checked out now, but definitely in good spirits and feeling okay in the post-game locker room. So if I had to guess, I'm not a doctor. This is my educated assumption. I think Timo Meyer might either have a fractured or a broken nose if his nose is bleeding like that because it was swollen up a little bit. So that might be worst case scenario. I don't think it's concussion-like symptoms because if I don't think the doctors or the trainers would clear him to go back to the bench if he's experiencing dizziness or he's like in and out of consciousness, whatever the case might be, I don't think uh, they would allow him to go back to the bench. So like I said, I'm not a doctor, so I can't really make that assumption. But based on what I saw and based on what I see from a physical standpoint, might have just been a a, a nasty uh, gash on his nose and might, might have been a result of a fracture or a broken nose, whatever the case might be. But don't have an update for Team of Maya at the time of recording, so that might change tomorrow. Now, let's talk about this game in general for the Devils. So we could talk about what the Devils had going for them, but let's talk about what they had going against them. So the all-time record for both the Rangers and the Devils in Game 7, so the Rangers are 11-6, and six, the Devils were 7-7. Seven and seven. 
head-to-head. Rangers lead 2-0. Rangers won eight of the last nine Game 7s. And the New Jersey Devils' last win came in 2012, Conference Quarterfinals versus the Florida Panthers, and that's when they punched their ticket to the Stanley Cup Final. So, and it's also worth mentioning that Lindy Ruff has never won a Game 7. So a lot of people were concerned going into the matchup. But the one thing I said, guys, and I said it early on in the episode, never doubt the Devils, okay, especially during the course of this year because they have proven a lot of people wrong, and why stop believing in them now? They have showcased what they're capable of doing. And one of the key takeaways that I took from Game 6 was that the New Jersey Devils were still playing their brand of hockey, especially in period number one. Now, they didn't come away with the win, But still, when you lose a game, there's still some positive aspects. So what did the Devils do in period number one? They were tracking the puck on the back check. They were attacking in the defensive zone. They were all over the puck. And this carried over into game seven. The only difference between game six and game seven, the Devils maintained it going forward. So once again, they didn't give the Rangers an inch of breathing room to try to amount the comeback. And once the Devils scored two goals in period number two, I knew it was a wrap. I was confident because – I was just like, no way the Devils blow this lead because I was under the assumption, whether it was the Rangers or the Devils, first team to score given how well the first period went, I say whoever scored the first goal of the game was going to come out victorious. So that's what I saw in, in this overall effort from the Devils. And going into the final period of regulation, once again, the Devils were on, on top 2 nothing. But the shot attempts, Devils had 49, Rangers had 35. Power play, Devils were 0 for 2. The Rangers were 0 for 4. So how are the Rangers maintaining themselves in period number one? The Devils were getting unnecessary penalties. Nathan Bastian picked up an early penalty within the first three minutes. And that was a concern of mine, which is if you give the Rangers chances on the man advantage, they can make you pay. So I was like, don't do what you did in game one or game two, because game six was an absolute nightmare. So don't do that. But Once again, the Devils were able to tightrope out of a lot of situations, wasn't pretty, and they were able to negate one power play opportunity for the Rangers by making it go four on four. But still, it it was just, sometimes I was just a little nervous. I was like, do not let them score because I felt in my gut first team to score was going to win the game. But digressing a little bit, scoring chances, Devils had 11, Rangers had seven, takeaways, 13 for the Devils, two for the Rangers. I saw the Devils make the Rangers cough up the puck. So I saw them do it to Keandre Miller. I saw Patrick Kane. He had a sloppy turnover, and the Devils were able to swipe it away. That was uncharacteristic for someone like Miller and also Kane. Those are just a couple examples. So I was like, the Devils, they're playing their game, and sooner or later, just keep shooting the puck. Just keep putting the pressure on Chesterkin, and sooner or later, it's going to result in a goal guaranteed that's what i saw from period number one through period number three the devils played their style of hockey from the first minute of the game to the final seconds they were just able to put their foot on the gas pedal and they did not look back they stuck to what they knew don't uh, do what the rangers try to do because that's not going to work and don't take unnecessary penalties because that's going to kill you in more ways than one so What I saw from the Devils, just a great showing, a great outing. And they were able to, once again, I guess, come away with the upset victory because a lot of people were saying that the Rangers were going to win in six. And they also said that uh, the Devils are down 2-0. It's going to be an easy sweep. 
Devils the comeback kids. Never doubt them. Something else that I was fairly confident that the Devils would do was just, you know, close out the game because according to ESPN, in Game 7 histories, when a team scores two or more goals, their all-time record is 127 and 13. So, yeah, I, I, I was fairly confident for the New Jersey Devils going into the final period of regulation before anyone calls me cocky or whatever the case might be. So, like I do with every post-game recap, I will compare the stats and give the Devils a letter grade. But before we continue, I want to tell you about a product that I use literally every day. So, I started taking AG1 because I wanted to be happier. I wanted to be healthier. My body is a temple, so I got to start treating as such. So, what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and abstinence to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all those things. So it's lifestyle is friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything, while still tasting good, supports better sleep quality and recovery, supports mental clarity and alertness. It's one thing that's best about Athletic Greens that use best of best products based on the latest science, with constant product iterations and third-party testing. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with a convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills or supplements to look out after your health. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So what are my expectations going forward? Well, considering the fact that the Florida Panthers were able to knock off the uh, Boston Bruins, a team that broke the all-time record in wins and points, the East is wide open. So considering the fact that the Carolina Hurricanes also are missing a few key players, I think this is the Devils series to lose, but we'll talk about that in a near future episode. And also, I think the biggest competition for the Devils, if they're able to make it out the next round against the Carolina Hurricanes, and if the Toronto Maple Leafs are able to beat the Florida Panthers, and quite honestly, I think the biggest competition for the Devils would be the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they beat the Toronto Maple Leafs, they'll go to the Stanley Cup final. So anything is possible. It's anybody's game. So if you're the New Jersey Devils, this is your golden opportunity to shock the world. If you were going to do it, and if you haven't done so already, now's the time to do it because a team like the Boston Bruins, is not going to be in your way anymore because let's face it, the Devils had struggled mightily against the Boston Bruins throughout the course of the year. That was the only team that I was really concerned about. But they're gone. And by the way, the Devils won the trade for Eric Kala and Pavel Zaka, just saying. But like I do with every post-game recap, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, let's compare the stats and I'll give the Devils a letter grade. So shots on goal category, 31 to 24 in favor of the Rangers. Excellent showing from Akira Schmidt once again. I'm just running out of ways to describe his phenomenal run during the course of the postseason, and he's building up one hell of a storyline for himself. Face-off percentage, 51% to 49% in favor of the Devils. Power play, Rangers were 0 for 4, Devils were 0 for 3. However, they did pick up a shorthanded goal thanks to Michael McLeod. Hits, 23 to 18 in favor of the Rangers. Blocks, 20 to 19 in favor of the Rangers. Giveaways, Devils led that department. 14 to six. So if I had to give this letter grade for Devils, man, it feels like I'm just giving them A's every post-game recap. Well, if I did a post-game recap for game six, I'd probably not give them an A. But still, yeah, A-plus for Devils. They redeemed themselves. They rebounded nicely. 
and they were able to come away with the big game seven victory, win or go home. And they did something that they have not done since 1994, overcome an O2 deficit and win the series. And this is the only the second time in team history that they've done so. Amazing effort from the New Jersey Devils. And I can't, I couldn't be any more proud of this team. And the fact that we're going to the next round and we have a chance to shock the world, it, it just speaks volume. So this Devils team is the real deal, everyone. And I take everything I said back before the trade deadline when I said, oh, I don't think the Devils can contend for a Stanley Cup. They can make a run in the playoffs, but they might get knocked down in the second round, wherever the case might be. I take everything I said about that back because, once again, similar to a lot of people, I was doubting the potential for a Devils. And like I said, if they go down 3 nothing, don't count them out. So let me know what you guys think. Man, this is a, a lengthy episode. I talked about my three stars. I talked about the, the hit that Timo Meyer was the victim of. I talked about the game in general. Gave a letter grade for the Devils. So curious to hear your guys' thoughts. And um, if you're new to Locked on Devils, thank you for tuning in. I post episodes quite frequently every day, Tuesday through Saturday. And, uh, yeah, it's been it, it's definitely been one hell of a season so far. So, And we're not done yet. So leave a comment down below if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening on podcast streaming service, hit me up on my personal Twitter page at TreyMatt4 or the show's Twitter page at Locked on Devils. As for this episode, that's all the time I have for you. So continue to stay safe. Have a wonderful day, New Jersey. Go Devils. I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening once again.